Hello and welcome to the Swim Brief. I am Chris DeSantis and today I am joined by my wife of 13 years, my partner of 17 years, Kate. Hi, Kate. Hi. Good morning. Good morning. Take two of uh, the first half of this podcast. So we're going to do two halves of this. Um, one of them is going to be the first where I will ask Kate some questions uh, about, you know, her life. Uh, she's She's been, uh, as I said, the first time we recorded this, she's she's been the silent partner in this, and I've been producing content for the internet consumption uh, for basically our entire relationship. But if you've been following that entire time or you've been following part of that time, this will probably be the first time you, you hear from her. Um, so I want to ask her a few questions. You guys can get a little bit of background there. And um, in general, I just want to ask you more about, you know, what it's been like for you to be in partnership with me on this, uh, on this life journey we've been doing. Um, so I want to start back at the beginning of uh, when, when we initially got together. Um, and if you could put yourself in that frame of mind, what was your impression of the sport of swimming? You, you meet me, here's this guy, he's, he's nerdy and passionate about swimming, but what was your impression of the sport of swimming? And, and please don't hold back. Um, we, should, we should share that I was a swimmer for a short stint in my life. <laughs> That's right, you I swam, swam, swam as, high school in Pennsylvania. I was a high school swimmer for two years. <laughs> Um, so I had a little bit of an insider track onto, into the sport of swimming. Um, it was really different from what I was accustomed to from the sense that I, I grew up playing team sports, right? I played soccer, I played field hockey. Um, and you played field hockey in college. So you did that all the way through I played field hockey college. in college. That's right. So we, we had similar athletic trajectories there, if you will, or, or journeys, um, but a team sport versus swimming was, was so different in that I think one of the things I noticed early on is that, that the swimmers and you, there was so much more pressure on the individual performance and, uh, such higher stakes on the competitions that you guys did because there was no hiding, you know, it was very black mm. and white. Um, and between that and some of the other things I learned about from you in terms of culture on teams, cultures of coaching, uh, cultures of being a swim athlete, uh, it made me a little wary. Like it's, it seemed always quite harmful uh, mentally and physically. What were the parts of it? I'm curious. I mean, I know you and I have talked about this off air, but like, the parts of it where you looked at it and went like, that's messed up. And like, why would you say that? Or, you know, are, are, that's not normal, essentially, like when you were hearing mm -hmm. uh, uh, athletic stories. Um, I felt like there was an attitude of there was pride in how much you could beat yourself up in getting ready for uh, like the big end of your competition. Like how, 
yeah, like how much could you hurt yourself to show that you were going to show up at the end of the season uh, ready to, to drop time? Um, and I think there was a lot of superstition involved in preparing for those big competitions at the end of the season. Like a lot of stuff that you'd be like, oh, and I, we would do this and we would do this. And, and then I would, we would sh- shave and we would wear this and we would eat this. And I, I just kind of was like, are, really? <laughs> like, do you guys believe in science? Like you do believe in science, right? Um, well, even as recently yeah, as a year you... ago, when I when I shaved for my meat, you said like, "Does that really work? Does it even matter? Like, do you even need to do this?" And by the way, just just so we establish my opinion, you yes, it absolutely works. People have been doing it for like fifty years, um, and it it works. And I think there is actual science behind that. But I know there's a lot of things too. There, the, you're you're right that there was a lot of self, like there was a lot of weird pride around self-torture. And I still see that in coaching. It's almost like, you know, who can wear the biggest badge of honor? Like I sacrificed the most for, yes. Um, for the success of the team or, or my own success or whatever. Um, right. Euphemism for that would be like a lot of highly committed people, but um, underneath that really was a lot of, uh, crazy self detrimental self-sacrifice from, from my point of view. Yeah. All right. I want to switch bases and, and, um, ask you a little bit about, uh, being married to a coach and raising kids with a coach. And I think, you know, there's one caricature of this, which is just like, ah, it sucks, right? It just sucks to be, in a relationship with a coach, you know, you, you move around a lot, you have crazy schedules to deal with. Um, it's very intrusive on your personal life. I would say, actually, I think you have a pretty balanced (laughs) opinion. Um, you definitely have some pieces of this that, uh, uh, you could, you could take and pieces of it that you could leave. And so we're going to, we're going to talk about both of them. I think we should, I mean, I feel like I was past the point of no return before we've really, I really put together the whole, like, well, we, we might move every three years for a job. And I was like, excuse me, we might what? Um, and I think again, like schedules that are totally fine when it's just the two of you can suddenly, like, I, I think you and I both, I certainly didn't grow up with, with, um, imagining and picturing like my my family life and what that would be like and and while I wanted to be a mom that wasn't a huge focus for me um and so I don't say no I mean I I was really unprepared for the personal change and transformation I would undergo becoming a mom and then again we didn't we didn't make that very easy on ourselves (laughs) No, we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But oh, let's okay. Sorry. I guess let let's let's divide this into um, two pieces because I think an important part of our our story is that when we got together, like you were you were really active. I would say in 
like sort of pushing me forward in my mm. uh, coaching career. So, so as you said, like, yeah, I think probably the moment where I was a few years into Georgia tech and I was uh, trying to talk you into like, Hey, maybe we could move to Auburn, Alabama. That, that to me is like mm. the moment where you went like, I don't think I know what I got into. <laughs> right. And, or like the mountains of Virginia. And I was like, uh, and what will I do there? Twiddle my thumbs? Like, and, but if you could take yourself back in time, like, you know, as it's just the two of us, no kids yet. Um, what did you, what did you see? in the coaching lifestyle. I mean, even, but even before, before raising kids got thrown into the mix, like what, what drove you crazy also, even at that time, or were you just too busy yourself to notice <laughs> anything? I mean, you were busy. Look, like, I, I, yeah. I mean, we were both workaholics while you were at Georgia tech. Um, yeah. so I had a lot of my own, own thing going on. I've always been extremely independent, uh, protecting my independence. So, um, yep. your, your being unavailable or traveling, uh, that never bothered me. Um, and I'm trying to think, I'm, I honestly feel like a lot of my frustration then was probably more tied to the fact that you were the bottom of the totem pole. You were the junior coach and uh, there was a lot of stuff thrown on you. Um, that was, that was you know, frustrating or just, it was like the, it was like the annoying grunt work sometimes. Do you remember buying all those snacks from Publix for every swim meet? And like, we'd get into the Kroger. car and it would like go from Kroger uh, we I remember we'd like get into the car because you only had one car and it would just like smell of like packaged carbohydrates <laughs> and I'd be like and bananas oh, shopping for the swim meet yeah <laughs> that Kroger um, I mean like so the Krogers had nicknames you're probably completely politically incorrect to say this at this point but colloquially the yes. Kroger that I would go shopping was known as Murder Kroger. Because there had been people murdered yes. in the parking lot in Atlanta. And I remember one time they had a security guard full time. Um, and this was coaching at Georgia Tech. And I would be sent over to get meat snacks, right? Which would be like basically like, you know, um, three or 400 calories per 50 plus athletes for any given dual meets. Like it was a lot of. Um, it was a lot of food, obviously, but I, I, you know, they had the full-time security guard and I came up to the security guard and somebody had approached me in the parking lot and he was like, don't ever let anybody talk to you in this parking lot. I was like, okay, I'll, I'll come in and get my bananas I'll, and I'll, I'll be on my way, sir. Um, yeah, I, so I think to bring it back to the, the point you were making. So like you would say like a lot of the stuff that frustrated you was almost like the uh, hazing is probably too strong of a word. But like the sort of yeah, like, so like semi euphemism for that would be like, you know, right. Your apprenticeship years there. You're right. right. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, but I also wasn't immune to that in the career I was in the time at the time, like architecture is also, you know, apprenticeship uh, kind of profession. And I'm sure you were equally disgusted with me that year on the 4th of July that I worked 16 hours on the 4th of July. And I, I 
I mean, well, I, we just didn't see each other. Maybe you, did you deliver food to the office for me? But I think we had three meals delivered to the office that day. The, the junior team of us that was, that was there working. So, you know, I had, I had some of that in my life as well. Well, my, my most poignant frustration now that you ask about our time in Atlanta was, you know, we lived within walking distance of your workplace, right? So one of the things that was really nice was like, I would coach morning practice in the morning, I'd come home, I'd eat breakfast, and then I, we had a dog, I'd walk in to work, right? And many I days that, I would yeah. finish practice in time to walk you home from work. So I'd put, I'd like, I'd be, have a day where I got up at 5.30 in the morning, I coached practice, came home, we were together for a little bit. I went back into work. I worked a full day, and at the end of it, I would come home and then walk into uh, walk to your work, and you know, walk you home. And often you would be like, "Oh yeah, like I'll be right down there," and I would be standing outside like thirty, forty-five minutes, just waiting, just waiting for you to leave. <laughs> I mean, work. I think that's a personal flaw, not a flaw in the profession. So we're getting um, we're getting far afield from 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 swimming here. Yeah. Um, let's let's talk about when kids. So I would so like. Can we say like yeah. the yeah? So the early days, I think the biggest thing that struck me was this this possible like we might uproot and and move, and you and I did have a lot of discussions on. I mean, the, the industry of architecture was very city based. And so how we were going to navigate this combination of, of, of you wanting to be, uh, at the time, a work for a high profile swim program. And a lot of those were in the middle of nowhere and me wanting to work for a large architecture firm. And a lot of those were at the center of major cities. Um, and I feel like that was kind of yeah, our, cities our and swimming tension. don't really mix. Yeah. 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 So, okay. So cap moving on to Denmark. Yeah. Let's get to Denmark. And, and, um, when we decided to throw a kid in the mix of this great experiment, um, how did that change things for you? Like, you know, like we were in this time period where we were both just mm -hmm. like, as you said, we were workaholics, just sort of like going off in our own direction. And I, I think we both admitted like, we were equally unprepared for the lifestyle change that would come yeah. with having a child. But right. and um, let's, let's break how did this it change down. the way you so perceived we... swimming and, and coaching? Yeah. Okay. But before I answer that, I want to break down the, 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 Give the timeline. changes here that we layered, that yeah. we layered on, right? So we moved to a foreign country where mm -hmm. I did not speak the language and it's one Correct. of the most difficult languages to learn. I was going to attempt to switch careers ish adjacent. Uh, you went from collegiate coaching to club coaching, which I was really ignorant of how the demands on you would shift and, Me too. and didn't understand that before we had even a kid. And then eight months into living in a foreign country, we had a baby at a time where there was six hours of daylight. <laughs> and again, <laughs> the crushing depression was like moving into our lives. Yeah. Yes. And we were across an ocean from an of our family support system. Like we, we right. 
again, did it very alone. So, I mean, there's, there's a lot of layers there and, and swimming is just one piece of that. Um, so I do feel like swimming and your job probably got the brunt of, or was an outlet that I took out frustrations of many other things. Um, it was, that was an easy target because it was so insane. Um, so what changed for me is that I think to your point, like we've always been really big partners and cheerleaders for each other. And we had that little peanut of a baby, Olivia, and I suddenly felt very alone and very much like that child was my responsibility and your responsibility was swim coaching. And we mixed a little bit, but really just based on time demands, like we didn't, we didn't do a lot. Um, yeah. And we've, you know, We've navigated with both our kids that I always did the night shift because of your job, both job schedule and, and sleep issues. So that was always something that I've done, but that it was, it was really hard, uh, doing it with your schedule. Um, yeah. And it just was, it was like oppressive. (laughs) Well, so I, I, I was thinking about this, like, yeah. You know, you talk earlier, you've always really valued your independence and that time of our life, it was like, it was, it was both all the change, but I think a really big piece of it was like, I mean, any new mother, like it's a startling decrease in your independence, right? Like yeah. you, you, yeah. It's, a, it's, it's a, it's a car crash, but I think you know, in that time you started to view stuff that didn't bother you about what I was doing, like the way my profession was set up, all of a sudden bothered you because you were like, that is making my, like that's making me even less independent than I could be. Like that's in the way. Yeah. Right. Than it, than it used to be. And like, just talk like what, what was some of that stuff that you just all of a sudden like lost tolerance for, I would say in the idiosyncrasies of swim coaching? Um, the morning practice. Like, I don't think that had ever bothered me before. Um, that was really annoying to have to do, if any any mom or parent knows, have to do the whole morning routine alone, six mornings a week. Yep, just yeah. me. And the other shift that was like a club collegiate shift we didn't talk about, but you suddenly basically had practice during dinner time. And, and so while you did have nights free as a college coach, you had a varying schedule and you did not have nights free. Some nights you were getting home at six 30, some nights at eight 30, some nights at after nine. Um, we definitely had a practice. I think that went seven to nine. And then I, I, yeah. I, at some point I canceled the insanity cause it was seven to nine and then morning practice the next day. And I was like, guys, oh, yeah. like, we've got to stop doing this. Like what, what are we thinking? Like these kids cannot leave the pool at nine o'clock and then we can turn around the next morning and everybody gets up at 
5.30 in the morning. Like, it just doesn't work. But, yeah, I mean, the, I, I, that's what I remember um, that, that, like, I completely underestimated was just, like, how how important the beginning and the end of the day is with a small child. Like yeah. those are the two most important parts of the day, like waking yeah, up. Right. And I was doing a lot end, of that alone. The end of the yeah. day. And I just like, I was just gone. I was just not, yeah. not there for it. And it then was we like, can talk about those, those five to seven day long travel swim meets that were frequent too. Like, yeah, well, I mean, so one of the things that I did for professional development, um, in my time there that you and I have talked about was I would, I went to go see Shannon Rollison and I remember talking to him. Shannon Rollison was the Australian mm -hmm. coach at the national training center. And I remember talking to him like the first year Olivia was alive. I slept out of our house almost 60 days that year. So like beyond when I was there kind of not being present for the, 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 the highest traffic, whatever, like most influential parts of the day, I was also just gone a lot. And yeah. you were just yeah. alone in our one bedroom apartment. Um, I remember I missed, I, this is something I'll never forget. I remember I missed Olivia crawling for the first time. You sent me a video of Olivia crawling. It was heart, it was heartbreaking. Mm. I mean, I yeah. was, uh, I was in Croatia, right? I was in mm -hmm. Croatia for national junior team <laughs> camp. And, um, I just even remember every time I remember every time we talked during that time, it was like, and I was away, it was like, it was like fraught, you know, because I was feeling guilty about what I was doing. It was made it a lot harder for me to enjoy being at work. Because I constantly, I felt like I, 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 you write, like you describe it, that we fell into this, like, without consciously setting it up whatsoever, that you were going to be the stay at home mom, all of a sudden, and I was going to be like, you know, the work, the tra traditional 1950s work husband. And like, I never intended that to be the setup for us. And mm -hmm. I, it, it did really bother me the way we got there. But then... Yeah, I mean, right, we like let that happen to us, kind of. Um, but I did go back to work, like I went back to work. But in a sense, you're right, like I when I went back to work, we realized that I can only go back to work 30 hours a week. Because I had to do every afternoon pickup except one, I think for Olivia from daycare. Um, and almost every morning drop off. So I, I started immediately back into the gymnastics of like, I would get Olivia ready in the morning. I would take her to school. I would like run to the train, take the train into Copenhagen. I would work my six hours from nine to three ish. And then I would leave immediately. You take had the to train leave. home. Yeah. Pick Olivia up, right? Pick her up at like four fifteen because bless, bless Denmark's daycare situation so much, but I swear to goodness, the america us american parents we were like the last ones picking our kid up when at 4 oh yeah 415 like you you had the last day. the last yeah. kid yeah well, in the entire daycare yeah. you were just, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't closed but you felt like right. you were keeping everybody there like it just right. like socially right. felt wrong yeah totally 
Right. So I would like run home and get her and then, you know, go right into dinner and like, yeah, it, it was, it was the, the hamster wheel. It was, it was hard. Yeah. yeah. And you were consistently exhausted and emotionally drained. And again, a lot of those big trips, like those were rewards. Those were. Right. It was so weird. Fun. Such a weird feeling. Yeah. To, yeah. to like whiplash to sort of go like, cause I, I, that conversation with Shannon, we were going into an Olympic year and he was sort of like, yeah, well, mm-hmm. you know, if you do, if you do what you're supposed to do next year, it'll be more, you know, essentially like you, you have an outside shot at coaching an Olympian or at least somebody that's going to go to like a higher level, um, international meet and then it'll definitely be more. It'll just grow. Like the more successful you are, the more it's grow. It was such a depressing thought. And uh, it was the first time where I went like, actually, like I have two goals for myself and they're, they feel, felt like they were completely in opposition. Uh, the person that I wanted yeah. to be outside of my job and what I wanted to accomplish in my job. And they just felt like I couldn't reconcile the difference between those at all. Like it was just... Yeah. It was just coming for it. Yeah. Right. And uh, I think a lot of my frustration was based on our schedule. Like I, I didn't just have any space to be me. I was either being a mom or being an employee and then being a mom and then being a wife. And like, there was nothing for just me. Yeah. Yeah. We should add the other mitigating circumstances to say, like, we're going to be all alone. I mean, my mom was Danish and we kind of expected her to be, but she, she got cancer six months into Olivia's life. And then, you know, that relationship pretty quickly shifted from her providing support to us, to us providing support to her. Um, stressful times, Denmark, stressful times. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to switch bases. I want to talk about a few, um, rules that I talk about when I'm out on the road. We didn't talk about this in the first version that we recorded of this, but I, I remembered them in the interim. Um, a few rules, DeSantis family rules that we implement in, uh, in, in our relationship in with our children. And I think they are, they're so relevant in a coaching sense, um, that I use them all the time when I'm coaching and I want to give you credit because I think you definitely the first one, I think you came up with the second one you were, you can't be extricated from coming up with it. You're, you're at least a co co creator of it. Okay. But so the first one is the concept of one thing we always say is everybody's annoying and I'll tell you, (laughs) I'll tell you the context I was using this in recently because like maybe you guys can even hear in this conversation as I like started whining a bit about um, Kate making me wait outside her workplace. Like one of the things I think I've realized is if you really love somebody, if you're really like if they're your person, they also have the potential to be the most annoying person (laughs) in your entire life. Can you talk a little bit about like, where did you come up with that? Or how did you come up with that? Yeah, I, I didn't come up with, 
come up with it, but a right, you stole blog it from somebody. I, I stole it, but a blog I have read for over a decade since before I was a mom, um, had a post that, that the, uh, uh, author just said the best marriage advice she'd ever gotten was everyone is annoying. And it just really resonated with me. I think we were at a period where I was so annoyed with you and, and, it, but just to be like, well, everyone's annoying. Chris thinks yeah. I'm annoying. I think my mom's annoying. She thinks like I'm annoying. My sister's annoying. Like, Everyone Our I kids think annoying. we're annoying. We think they're annoying. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and you, it, it was a nice, I think it's a, such a nice shift because I think sometimes when you really care about somebody, when you, when you love them, you, you can tend a little too far to like idealizing them. And then you go like, well, this person shouldn't be annoying. This is my person. They should, they should not be annoying. And it, it like puts the shift to like, no, actually the person that you care about most also will annoy you the most. That's part of the package. Yeah. Like you will, yeah. you will love them more than anything on the planet. And at certain moments you'll be like, oh my gosh, this person, I cannot believe how frustrating it is <laughs> to be with this person right now. Okay. Yep. So the, that's, that's one of them. Another one that um, I think is especially like parenting, but you and I use it with each other is everybody gets to feel whatever they're feeling, but you don't get to do whatever you want to do, right? So you can be, you can be sad, you can be angry, you can feel, feel whatever, right? You can feel happy if you want to, but like, you know, you don't get to just act out in any way that you want, right? Um, I mean, not that our kids have ever hit each other, but like, I think an example of this I would use is like, you're allowed to be angry at your brother, but you're, <laughs> Shh, I don't know, I'm not supposed to tell that secret. I'm laughing because you shouldn't have shared that secret. <laughs> I know. Um, I mean, our kids are, you know, they get in those normal sibling uh, tussles mm -hmm. all the time. And what I say, Kate, is I say like, you're allowed to be angry at your brother, but you're not allowed to hit him, right? Like, it's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be sad about something that happened in your day, but you don't get to just treat other people in this family however you won't, you know, just like act out, right? In whatever way you see fit. Yeah. We all need that one in our family. <laughs> well, you I need it in different ways. You have always felt your feelings. I think yeah. from the very beginning of us being together, you have, I've been the one that has struggled to, um, feel my feelings. So I really needed the, I would say I needed the feel mm. my feelings part of it, like that. It's okay to feel your feelings. Yeah. Um, and it doesn't mean that like, I, I always imagined that it would lead to me acting in a way that I didn't want to act. I think you'd never needed any help feeling your feelings, but maybe like what you, what happened after that as an expression of those feelings <laughs> was, was probably, um, where that worked. So it can, you know, depending on what situation you're in, that advice can, can help you in any which direction. Yep. Yeah. That's all you have to add. Any to that. other ones? <laughs> no, those are the two big DeSantis I mean, family rules. Did you have one? I think. 
Um, hold on. Like anything, any, anything else to add to that? I would just say I'm not surprised that both of those serve you well as a coach, coaching athletes, uh, especially around performance in the swimming world and swimmers reminding them they need to feel their feelings. Um, yeah. And or an athlete coach relationship and being able to sit with the like, well, everyone's annoying. My coach is annoying. My swimmer is annoying. Um, so I'm, I'm not surprised by either of those. Um, I want to ask you about a couple, I just want to give you a chance to react to a couple more, I guess really, uh, one, one big moment from our time in Denmark that I've talked about a lot on this podcast and maybe we'll get your, uh, color on it. Cause I, I know where it, it sort of culminated. Um, but I remember that during that time, you know, I, I sought out for my own professional development, uh, some time hanging around with Shannon Rollison, who was the national training center, uh, coach mm -hmm. of Denmark. And I remember I've, I've often quoted the statistic and I was talking to him about it that, you know, the first year Olivia was alive, I slept out of our house almost two months out of that year. It's almost 60 nights away from home. And, um, I had a sense that he, you know, every time I talked to him, he was talking about his family. He was talking about his wife. He was talking about his kids. It was something that was really important to him. So I was like, please, man, can you tell me like, how can I <laughs> basically, how can I, um, how can I be successful in the way that you are and keep this stuff in focus? And the culminating moment I think was, I was coaching my team in this event that um, it's like the only scored swimming competition in Denmark, the Danish team championship. And um, I remember I really didn't understand what was going on at the meet. And I was, you know, I was, I was fighting with my um, age group coach as, as uh, maybe we'll get into that in a second. Um, I felt like he was really undermining what I was doing and we just had a horrible day. We were going to get relegated. It was like, you know, English premier league soccer. Like if you finished at the bottom, you were going to get oh, yes. re relegated. Yeah. And I just got home from the meet and you were sort of like, Hey, how'd it go? And I just burst into tears at the dinner table. Like I was like, I just like, I can't. Um, and I think it was much more than much more about the fact that I, I wasn't, the person that I wanted to be outside of coaching then, you know, like disappointment about how the coaching results were going. Mm -hmm. Do you remember that story? And, and like, what, what do you think? I remember the Shannon Rollison story. I remember that swim meet. Um, I can't say I remember the bursting into tears, but I, I think my perspective on all of that, I, I, to your point about saying that you thought it was more about how you were showing up or what you were, who, like who you were outside of swimming and not being happy with that. Um, I'm sure that bled into your feelings about coaching and the system of, of kind of what you had to work in and what the expectations were of you as a swim coach and the other way around, right? Your expectations of that were on you of being a swim coach and how that impacted how you could show up at home. Um, 
then I think like at this point in time, like I, I'm, I'm able to reflect and, and just say, I wonder if we both had been happier with how we were able to show up at home, if he would have been able to deal with more at work and, and the other way around. I mean, well, you shouldn't have been able, you shouldn't have had to deal with anything that you were dealing with at work at that point. So I shouldn't, I shouldn't say that because that was just out of bounds from my point of view, um, if we want to dive in there further, but. Um, yeah, let's dive in. What was out of bounds? Okay. For like, give, give, give your perspective, because this is a story that I've told in, in varying pieces over here, but like from an, from a, from a, you know, outside looking in, but right, right at the edge of outside, like what was happening where you were like, I can't believe that, you know, somebody would be that way, basically. Yeah. So should we, should we state just to be clear, we're referring to, I think when I've heard you talk about it, you say I got fired from my job in Denmark. And... You'd never like that. You never like it when I say I got <laughs> fired from my job in Denmark. Just if I can, if I can uh, maintain uh, Kate's position here for a second before she launches into anything. Every time I say I got fired from my job in Denmark, you go, that's not fair. That's not a fair description of what happened. So here's your right. chance to set the record straight. <laughs> Right. And I, I correct you and I say you were wrongfully terminated from from your job in Denmark. Um, and I state that because, as you go on to say to most people, you had outstanding performance. There were no uh, job performance um, complaints against you. You hadn't had any um cause to believe that your job would be at jeopardy based on your performance and uh you were undermined by your assistant coach and he he basically i mean if we want to be really dramatic sometimes i like to be right i mean like he went out and basically like there was a coup against yeah. you he set up and and removed your board replaced them with the new board members and they voted to uh terminate your contract which they can't do in denmark um, it's in fact illegal <laughs> yeah. to do what they did. Yeah. Um, I, I remember, I really remember just being terrified as a foreigner. I think one of my strengths and, and one of the ways I cope with my anxiety is to know everything about how the way things work. I can dive in to figure out how things work, especially kind of you love systems of things. Yeah, systems, exactly, I was going to say. And yes. And so to feel like I had no idea of, I, I had no idea what recourse we had or how this could happen or where we could go from here. Um, it, it could potentially have strong implications for our family, right? Like we could get asked to leave the country we were living in. <laughs> at the time, um, it was pretty scary. And I think it was a real, um, we, we, we both got a, a lesson there in those, the, the Danes that are scared of foreigners. And well, I don't want to say that's common, but I, I feel like we were an example. You were yeah. an example 
of that in that situation. Just two things that you just made me think of that were really hard in the moment that I don't think I've ever talked about. One, I know I've, I've definitely never mentioned was, so the structure of how this all broke down in Denmark was, you know, as you, as you said, like I actually had unanimous support, like there was a board of the team and they were unanimously supporting me, um, continuing to work there. So part of the process for removing me was they called an extraordinary meeting. These Danish clubs, they're, they have a huge membership. Um, and they have the, you know, like very, um, very well thought out, like bylaws and governance structures. Um, so like if you're going to elect a new board, like you, you either got to wait for the yearly meeting or you have to call an extraordinary meeting. And uh, so I remember this was going to be this extraordinary meeting where it was decided, you know, what was going to happen. And people like, it was like, you know, if you picture like a town hall, like it was going to be like a town hall where people would talk. And I was told, like, basically given the legal advice, don't show up. And that was one of the hardest parts for me, because even though there was a part of me at that time, I will admit that was like, screw this, like. They, they can do whatever they want. I'm so tired of this. Like, and, um, you know, they're, they're wrong. And like, I, I still really, really wanted to show up and, you know, like in the movies, make a passioned defense of what I was doing and just tell, like, <laughs> I guess if people have been listening to this podcast a long time, picture how hard it was for me to sit at home and not show up and tell those people to their face that they're wrong. Like that, what they were doing was wrong. Um, that was for sure one of the hardest parts of of everything that went down in that situation. Hmm. Yeah, knowing you, yeah, I can imagine that was really hard. And I, and I think you just made me think about on the personal level, though, like this weird dichotomy of like wanting to fight for your job because it was wrong that it was being taken away from you but at that point I'm sure you also felt like I don't want this job I don't yeah. even want this job so but and now I'm being caused to fight for it like yeah it, yeah it was a very weird conflict I mean uh, I've told people this part you know and you probably remember this as well I, I got offered another job within like a couple of weeks and I just said no absolutely not like I can't I, I, yeah. I can't jump. It was like, you know, I don't know how, I don't know what to compare it to, but like, I, 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 it was so hard at that moment. At least I had the common sense to know that like, no, actually I need some time to process this before I jump into doing something else. And, and luckily, and luckily I did. Um, all right. Let's pivot. I think uh, I've I've uh, badgered you with enough questions. Let's let's see. You 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 brought notes to this meeting, so I'm very curious as to what you have to ask me about. Krista Sanis, are you surprised that I brought notes to this? No, I'm not surprised. <laughs> it just everybody listening knows there's one person in this relationship that takes very good notes, and there's one person who doesn't. And I just, you're going to have to guess which one of us it is. Okay. 
Well, we, we jumped around a little bit, but I had a couple to, I had a couple points in your career that I thought would be fun to revisit. Okay. Um, I, I went all the way back um, to the time period after you decided you would leave your stable teaching job in Pittsburgh, where you were also coaching a boys high school swim yeah. team and moved to Philadelphia where I was um, intending to start graduate school. Cause I had, like in I had six swooned months. for you and I was like, Oh uh, my gosh, I need to be around this lady at all times. We were young and, and brave and slightly <laughs> yeah. ignorant and it was great. Um, so I don't think either of us knew it at the time, but that would be the start of your career in swim coaching. And like, how did, how did that unfold? the start of your career in swim coaching? Well, I always tell the story that you were such a big part of it. Um, so it's funny you ask. I mean, I, I tell this, and I think I'm glad you gave me the opportunity to repeat this with you present. I tell the part of the story um, with you in it as a sign that like, it is really important to have, you know, emotional, like emotionally resonant and deep relationships um, and people that will support you and uh, support you even when you don't believe in yourself. So, I mean, I think when we met, I, I, I was that boarding school teacher in Pittsburgh and I will like, you know, Cliff's notes, like some of our conversations, but it was sort of like, you would go like, well, is this really what you want to be doing? And I go like, no, I mean, I, I want to be a college swim coach, but like, I tried and I failed and, you know, it's just not going to work out for me. And you were like, that's ridiculous. What do you mean you tried and you failed? Like you didn't like try again, try again. And I, I remember you just sort of talking me into trying again and looking back, it was like very audacious um, what I ended up doing because I was trying to get this like basically volunteer coaching position, this part-time coaching position at Penn. Um, cause I wanted to move there. I wanted to be, uh, be with you and I wanted to be a college swim coach. And like, I was just going to make it work no matter what. And, um, you know, Mike, my old boss, Mike Schnurr, um, who's, uh, I guess we're not going to get into him, but he was a character to say the least, um, was just kind of like dragging his feet on telling me uh, whether or not I could get the job. Like there were no other candidates for the job. As far as I knew, there was no other. So I flew myself out from Pittsburgh. I flew to Philadelphia and I showed up and I had told him that I was gonna show up, but as far, he seemed very surprised to see me because I, the, the part of the story that I always remember was it was graduation day at Penn. Mm. So it was, you know, like June going into, I started in September and I flew out there and just showed up and I was trying to talk to him about the job, basically like give myself an interview to the job. And meanwhile, like he would have like, you know, somebody that was in the graduating class and their parents would just show up in the middle of us talking and be like, Oh, Mike, like, thank you so much for four years. Like, you know, like, let me come in here and give you a hug. And then I'd be like sitting there cooling my jets for several minutes and then like wait for the person to leave. And I'd be like, yeah. So anyway, like, you know, and like working my way through this interview. So that, 
that's what I remember or anything. That was my, one of my ultimate, uh, just like shoving my foot in the door moments. Were we, we, but did we go together to look for housing? Was it really? Was oh, it absolutely. The yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. One of your, one of your shove your foot in the door moments. I mean, it's so funny because knowing what I know now and I hear you tell that story and my next question to you, I'm going to be like, and what did we learn about the industry of swim career, like an athletic college coaching from that series of interactions, Chris? Like, what did we learn? <laughs> yeah, you have to be an absolute maniac. Like, you, it, it, it's, a, it's a profession that rewards being a maniac and being, I would say, you have to find a way to be very aggressive putting your foot in the door without seeming like i think in the in the long term it will make like it will destroy your career if you're too aggressive but you have to find a way to like be that assertive without like you know rubbing too many people the wrong way did you feel confident in that at that time yeah i mean in that situation yeah I I I had sort of worked my way up to it globally, no, but <laughs> you know I guess do maybe do you ever get like fully confident or is it just like you work your way up to being confident in various situations? I think it's probably the latter. So mm -hmm. so the answer is yes. It's fair. Um, there was one other time at Penn that I wanted to bring up, but really just okay. the one, because I think it also speaks volumes to you as a coach. Uh, so let's see, you were a volunteer-ish assistant coach for the Penn swim team for two years? Yeah. Okay, and tell us a little bit about the pink shirts that the team gifted you and themselves. Oh yeah, so this is one of my favorite, it is actually one of my favorite moments. Um, I think like you should always be extremely flattered if, if, if anything like this ever happens to you as a coach, cause I was, um, you know, this was in a simpler time of, uh, social media, like Facebook was still relatively new and, mm -hmm. um, actually one of my most mind numbing jobs that I was given at Penn you know, I don't know if you remember this, but uh, Mike would have me, he, he want, had some sense that he wanted to monitor what the athletes were doing on social media. This is like oh, an era yes. where they were like, I do please don't this. post photos of yourself, you know, underage drinking and partying on the weekend. So they were all required to be friends with me on Facebook. And I had to spend Monday, like morning, just looking through 50 kids social media feeds to be like, Oh, there's a red cup in that photo. Please take that down. You know, like, Oh, you like, you're out at a bar and you're 19 in that photo. Please like take that down. Um, and so all, as a result, all these kids were friends with me on social media. And there was a picture of me that apparently, you know, like they, it was, it was actually, I think of you and I like at, at a, somebody's wedding or something. And I was making a face, I was hamming it up for the camera. I think it was our engagement party. Oh yeah, for sure. It would have been, a, would it have been our engagement party? That was like so late into my time at Penn. But anyway, we were at either our own engagement party or, <laughs> or a wedding. 
Or another, um, or a wedding. Right, or a wedding. Uh, and they took this photo of me, and they just made pink shirts um, that had the, like, a black a black and pink image of my face and just said, Chris is my homeboy. And they wore them to the, <laughs> they wore them to the championship, um, meets at the end of the year. Um, and I think too, it's, it's kind of like, now I look back on that time too. I mean, I was 24 years old. I was 23, 24 years old when I was coaching at Penn. Like I was the same age yeah. essentially. Like, I didn't view it like that when I was there, but like I was so close. I and I think it is there there is an appropriate way to be coaching at that age and to have that proximity in age and be relatable to athletes um because you are close to their peer group without it being like inappropriate. I like to think that that was a, an instance of that. I thought it was really sweet and really funny. I mean, that's a lot of work for a college student to go to that effort. Yeah, to, to get to get someone. the shirts designed and and printed and yeah. Collect I wish money, I still had one. Distribute. Oh, I'm sure we do have one. Somewhere. Yeah, somewhere. <laughs> it's definitely there's there's definitely probably a social media post honoring that on your Facebook account. Oh no, somewhere. yeah, there's a there's a photo yeah. of that somewhere, but I just mean I wish I had the actual shirt. Mm. Yeah. Um Okay. So uh the next the next step, right? You you were at Penn for 2 years, you earned your master's degree in applied positive psychology. And at that point, you decided you were ready to take that master's degree and get a full-time paid salaried coaching job in swimming. Yeah. And, and what do you remember about that job searching process also and that, that time? Uh, it was the second most aggressive foot shoving in the door that I ever did. Um, I remember that, you know, Georgia Tech, I was like nerdy enough to know, you know, Georgia Tech had a coaching change and I think like had some sense of what they were going to do, that they were going to hire, uh, Courtney, who's still the head coach there now, Courtney, uh, Hart to be the head coach and I somehow got her personal phone number. <laughs> Um, and so the day that it was announced, I cold called her and got through and, you know, I guess this is all of this story. Now I'm realizing, looking back, like this was in a time, like where you might actually pick up when a random number called you mm. and like, also, so I, so I got through. We're really dating ourselves here, Chris. Or maybe it was, maybe it was <laughs> even her office number. You know, when people still had office phones and picked up your landline in your office. And anyway, I got through to her and I just said, congratulations. And I said, I'm going to apply to be an assistant coach mm. because you're going to have an open assistant coaching position because you were an assistant coach. Now you're the head coach. So I know you're going to have an opening. Um, and uh, it was another one of those 
uh, we were living in Philly. I think I flew to Atlanta and like there and back on the same day. Um, I think I they in flew for, you. Yeah. Well, they flew they me, but you know them. what I mean? Like I didn't have to like, yeah. I didn't have to pay yeah. for the interview process, but I don't think I had a hotel even for the night. Like I was there, um, you know, arrived at the crack of dawn at Philly airport in the morning and got home, you know, like super late at night. Um, and just worked my way into it. And I was so excited. I mean, I, the thing that, the thing that, um, looking back, I, you know, I, I had always been somebody who had been watching swimming at that level and wanting to be a part of it. So, um, it was a little bit surreal for me <laughs> to get a crack at that level. And, um, I just remember being really, really excited. Um, I remember how excited you were. Um, and you shared a lot about the, the path that ended up panning out and working out. But I remember, and I, I, my memory could be wrong, but I remember you actually, you getting a lot of, a lot of traction from a lot of places that cycle. Um, oh, that's true. More yeah. than you thought. And I don't right. know if you want to talk about those in name or not. I, sh I should let you dictate that. But um, <laughs> yeah, and I think I reflect on the difference in the Chris DeSantis that was shoving his foot in the door at Penn two years before and your your confidence and your determination to get like you, you were not going to not get a job. As yeah, I said no to two cycle. other jobs in that in that uh, cycle. So I had two other offers um, that I ended up saying no to. And yeah, I mean, I I chose Georgia Tech. I, first off, it was the highest level program that I had the opportunity to be in. Although that was not necessarily like going to be a deal breaker, but also, I mean, I think if I bring it back to our relationship. I mean, so you'd be, you'd been in an architecture school at Penn, and just to give people an insight into how we were managing this, like I've I've told the part where you're like my biggest cheerleader. I like to think I'm also your biggest cheerleader um, in life, and I was acutely aware of like, okay, I may have to move around a bunch for coaching, and that's a decision we're going to have to make together, and. Also, like, it's it's going to be a limitation. Like, I I can't go anywhere. If if yeah. if I <laughs> if I want, we, we to... had discussed that. Yeah. there was a limit of needing to be in a metropolitan uh, area, a yeah. city, really. Yeah. So Atlanta was the biggest metropolitan area I could get a job in, and um, so I thought it was going to be. It didn't end up really being that way. <laughs> I think. Professionally for you, it was, it was less than desirable, but, um, it was still a place where you could, you know, apply your trade and get started in your career. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think the reasons it was less desirable is just, we didn't, you know, being Northeasterners, we didn't really know how, um, I mean, the, the economic downturn we had then just took way longer for the, the South, some areas of the South to recover. Yeah. It was 2009. Northeast. And yeah. it was tough 
tough. Yeah, it was tough entering the the like a professional job market like architecture. We 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 quickly realized that architecture. You were an architect in those times. You're not an architect now, um, but right. you were an architect in those times. That architecture would be the last industry <laughs> to rebound yes. out of the great economic. Um, yeah. Yeah. Crisis of that time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, okay. I'm stepping back from it. We talked about Denmark a little bit already, okay. some insights there, but, uh, looking back on your, um, kind of, what should I call it? I don't know what you call that. Your full-time swim coaching jobs or career segment. I like um, to call it the time I was a real coach, but that's, you're going to hate, you're going to hate that framing. Just like when I say I fired myself. <laughs> a real coach. We could, we could use that. I mean, okay. we should tell everyone that our, our, at Olivia, our daughter just declared you to be a worky person. Yeah. Worky weekend. work so person. Because a I can't be work person. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, which job do you think you learned the most about yourself at? Where oh. we could break it down. So like we talked about Penn and Georgia Tech and Denmark. Like, do you have a single, like, this is the my biggest area of growth from this job, from each of those three things that you look back and you were like, this is really something I took forward and changed, changed how I showed up as a, as a coach. Yeah. I mean, I think at Penn, I learned that I could do it. I mean, like more than anything, even though, um, I said, I like, you know, moved up to that, that moment of confidence to shove my foot through the door. Um, I definitely still like coming into it had a bit of uh, like, oh, you know, I'm just. Uh, yeah. Am I right. going to be good at this thing? Yeah. Like I want to do be... it, but do yeah. I have the chops actually? Right. Or am I going to, am I going to get up to this level and find out that like, you know, their blood is uh, thicker than, than mine. And I can't, you know, I'm not a different species and I just can't hang here. And I think, I figured out, okay, like I can do it. Um, Georgia Tech, more than anything, it's interesting. I was thinking about this conversation and even thinking about some of the stuff of like navigating, um, valuing our relationship above, above work and some of the limitations that puts on uh, work. I think Georgia Tech was where I learned that limitations that you set or that other people set on you um, can be the greatest like influence on your own growth. So the, the, the thing from Georgia Tech that actually I remember really fondly that I, drove me crazy at the time was that, you know, I spent that whole first year when you were still back in Philadelphia and I was at Georgia Tech. Mm -hmm. I was like the junior coach, you know, I was only 25 when I got hired for that job. And so looking back, I'm like, why would they let me do anything else than, you know, be like the junior <laughs> helper? Like I was so young, like what the hell? 
<laughs> so, you know, but it was like Courtney and then there were all the assistant coaches and everybody else had a group and they had like their own little fiefdom within the team. Mm -hmm. And I was like assigned to like follow Courtney around and do whatever Courtney needed. And I started chafing on that at the end of the first year. And I was like, well, I want my own group. And like, you know, I want to be, I want to be a real big kid coach, like just like all the other big kid coaches. And I remember like, I was getting really upset about it. And I came into the office and I told Courtney, and I was like, I, I want this. And she was like, no. And I was like, what do you mean? No. Like, and I was so mad. And, um, you know, I spun a couple more revolutions about it. And I remember the breakthrough was I, I had a, a coworker, Mark Tiburon, who we mm. remember fondly, but I had not gotten along with him for most mm. of that year. I, I thought he was not on my side. And I think I sent him like the world's longest email out of frustration. He probably like emailed me about something else. And I was like, and then another thing, Courtney won't let me like do anything. And, <laughs> and I remember he just wrote me back. He was like, yeah, I think actually you could make this work, but like, you're not going to do it the way that you are trying mm -hmm. to knock down that door right now. Like you have to regroup, try again. <laughs> if there's a theme of this podcast, regroup, try again. You didn't succeed. Like, and that's okay. Just regroup and try again. And, um, I remember the limitation of that forced me to be creative. And so when I went back into Courtney, I just said, I said like, Hey, um, you know, I, I listened to everybody throughout the year complain. There's probably enough statute of limitations that expired from the kids swimming there. Like I've listened to everybody else complain about, you know, coaching this out. I can't coach this person. This person's a pain in the butt. Like, you know, it's just too much work for me, et cetera, et cetera. I said, what if we just asked every other coach to come up with a list of kids that they don't want to coach? I'll coach all of them. Like, give me your misfit toys and I will, I will just take care of it. And you can have a group. Everybody else can have a group of people that just like handpicked who they want to coach. And she was like, hmm, that's not a bad idea. I would love to, you know, like, <laughs> uh, move that over to you. And that's how I, that's how I got to be, uh, sort of a full member of the coaching society there. Denmark. Can I say yeah, go ahead. Before you move on, I'll add my two cents in that I I learned about you from that time in the parts that we and and I mean I guess this is also the part I participated in the most, but once you once you did have your own group to coach, um I was really impressed with the way you led them and I think you made some incredibly strong relationships with swimmers and people on the team at Georgia Tech for being such a young um, person, like a young coach on the team. Um, and we had, every year we were there, we had your, you invited your group over for dinner at our house. And sometimes yeah, it took two or three, yeah. we made them dinner. Sometimes it took two or three sessions. And uh, I both remember like, it was weird to feel that old with them in the house. And also as right now I'm thinking like, Oh my God, we were so young and we had so little responsibility. And like, we were just a few steps ahead of them 
Um, yeah, but it was, it was really amazing how important it was for you to create a specific culture with that group. And I think you did it really successfully. Yeah, we ended up when I left, um, you know, like usually you name, uh, like a little training group after like you go like this, is the middle distance group, and this is the sprint group. Do you remember what the name of that training group was when I left? I don't. We called it, we called it the empire because by the end yes. we couldn't, we couldn't figure out there was like people that were swimming every single race <laughs> that there would be in a, uh, college program. So I think like I challenged the kids to come up, like, you got to come up with a different name because we can't call this like, well, there's already, first off, there was already a middle distance sprint distance groups. So, like, what are we going to call this? And I just said, come up with something. And they said like, we'll call it the empire. Like it, you know, it's just swallowing up territory from other places. And there were kids from something that I really enjoyed. And I loved the kids at Georgia Tech. I think you, you remember that piece of it. Like, if there's something that I take with me years later, I, the, the kids that I got to coach there were just so phenomenal as people. Mm -hmm. And, um, and the opportunity that we had people from seven different countries, you know, out of, out of 15 to 18 kids at any given time, there would, there were people from all around the world and they were just mixing and sort of sharing little pieces of their culture. And I thought that was so cool. Yeah. Um, okay. Denmark, Denmark, I always say to people, I think the big lesson from Denmark came after, after, Mm. after the, after I got fired, after I was wrongfully mm. terminated. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> because I think we, we talked about it earlier. Like I was, I was struggling with who I wanted to be outside of coaching. And I tell people all the time, it was such a blessing. And this is not, this is not me BSing. Um, I think all the worst things that have happened to me, I end up being grateful for. So that was horrible. Like Kate, as my witness, how, how depressed was I after I got fired? Like miserable. Yes. Those were some tough times. Those were some tough times. Yeah. Okay. So it's not like, it's not like I just sent up the next day and was like, wow, I'm so grateful. I got fired. Like, this is great. But now when I look back, you know, Olivia was a year and a half old. And I'm probably going to cry saying this, but it was not a week of being home when I noticed that there was a difference mm -hmm. in her just mm -hmm. from no other, no other change than like when she got home from daycare at three thirty four in the afternoon, I was just there. I was just there yeah. and it, it made yeah. a difference in her life. And I was like, oh, this is what you want, but you haven't been doing it. Hmm. And I, after that point, I could no longer like just, I could never, no longer just completely throw myself into coaching without thinking about that. Yeah. You and Olivia spent a lot of time together in the following two years. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. And we still do. 
She's coming on a business trip with me in two months. (laughs) She's so excited. Yeah. Well, did we reach the end of your, uh, your questions? We did. I mean, we, we, I, yeah. Well, I hope people will enjoy listening to this. I hope that, um, you know, it comes off as, uh, better than just me being indulgent and putting my favorite person in the whole world on my podcast. (laughs) Um, thanks. This is usually the part where I thank the guests and it feels so weird. I think we should do this again. <laughs> we should, should we bring you back on for Kate forces Chris to tell old stories from his career? I think if there's session. a demand, you need, to, the... you need to satisfy it. Let's hear what people say. Um, my, my usual uh, producers, feedback, uh, podcast listeners, tell me what you think of this one with Kate on. I, I really appreciate you doing this. Um, I love you. And uh, thank you to everybody for listening. I love you guys too. And um, I'll see you soon. Oh, sorry, I forgot all my plugs. Okay, so let's, let's throw in the plugs. If you want to contact me, uh, swimbriefpodcast at gmail.com. Go to christycoach.com. You can fill out a contact form. Instagram, Christy underscore coach. I'm not promoting anything else. Gosh, it's already three things. I don't want to, I don't want to plug anything else, Kate. Um, That's great, Chris. Everyone knows you were distracted by my beauty. (laughs) See, so you got to listen to the end or else you can't hear that line. The person who makes me laugh harder than anybody in the world. Okay. Um, Thanks everybody for listening and I'll, uh, I'll uh, see you guys all soon. (laughs) 